Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, amen. Well, I'm going to start here in Acts chapter 2. Um, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And um, I'm concluding my series on the day of Pentecost today. This will be the third message from that. And I'm concluding this in Acts chapter 2. Um, you know, I was thinking as we were worshiping th this morning, um, you know, the Bible, you know, we don't have the pleasure of taking the Bible and deciding what part of the Bible we believe and what part we don't, or what part we like or what part we don't like. And um, when I was in the Baptist church, I don't ever remember anybody ever preaching from Acts chapter 2. I'm not saying they didn't, but I don't remember that. And, um, and I'm not picking on them. I'm, I'm thankful for that, that denomination and the upbringing and the, the foundation that they gave me as a believer. But we have to be very careful that we don't shortchange ourselves from what the Word of God, that God has given us the fullness of everything in the Word. So we can't, you know, separate and distance ourselves from the things that either we don't understand, we don't like, doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. The, the, the whole Word, the Bible, has, God has given us for that. So... Um, so the day of Pentecost, and we, I shared this in my, in my first message, and many people don't realize this, the day of Pentecost was actually a day that the Jews celebrated separate and apart from the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was actually a day in the Old Testament that they separated. Um, the, the, the Greek word for Pentecost is 50th, and they celebrated the day of Pentecost here in the book of Acts 50 days after Jesus Christ was, was uh, crucified and resurrected. So it's not an accident or a mistake that this happened the way it did. It was the day of Pentecost. But the Bible says, and other translations say, when the fullness of Pentecost came. In other words, this was the complete picture of Pentecost. The Jews were celebrating something, and really everything that the Jews celebrated in the Old Testament was a picture of something greater to come. And the greater to come was Jesus Christ. He fulfilled everything that the Jews did in the Old Testament, but he completed those things. He, it was better in Christ, and we're celebrating those things right now. We're, we're uh, going through those things now in the book of Hebrews in our, in our, um, in our life group. So, so the Jews came together on the day of Pentecost, and it was a day of celebration, a day of remembering who they were as a Jewish nation, remembering all the things that God had done for them, and it was a glorious time of, of, of celebration. And um, so the first message that I'm just going to do a quick recap here. The first message that I did was on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that was, the, that was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all mankind, the Bible says. Now, that wasn't the day the Holy Spirit was born. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit has always been. And you, you can see glimpses and pictures of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit on all mankind. It was, it was poured out, the fullness, the fullness of God. The, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on us, and now we have the, the privilege of being baptized, to being submerged, to being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Where God's Holy Spirit, God's very presence, the Bible says, dwells in us. Not just with us, the Bible says he, he is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So... So we are, we are a spirit-filled 
by definition, of, as believers. And, and I said this in the first message, we cannot just say, well, you know, the church I go to is not spirit-filled, but y'all are spirit-filled because that's what y'all believe. It doesn't work that way. We, we are spirit-filled by definition. That's who we are as Christians. We're, we're, spirit, we're filled with the Spirit of God, the Bible says. The, the church was birthed with the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2. So Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, if you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus went through a whole you know, specific you know, explaining to the disciples um, who the Holy Spirit was, what his role was going to be, and what he was going to do. And the disciples were very distraught that Jesus was going to be leaving them and as, they, as they should be. He told them that he was the Son of God, he was the Messiah, all these miracles, all the wonderful things that Christ has, had done for them. And all of a sudden, now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. But Jesus didn't leave them alone. Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that will be the paraclete, which is the word in the Greek, which is just, which is just like me. And Jesus said that, that the, me, the, the Holy Spirit will be me with you at all times and all places everywhere at the same time. So, so Jesus said, it's actually better that I go because my presence will be with you always. I'll, I'll never leave you. So, and of course, the disciples, they didn't understand. They, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They understood, I think, on, in Acts chapter 2, they understood when the Holy Spirit came. And then Peter and all, they began to understand and realize this is what it was that Jesus was talking about. So the Holy Spirit came and the power of God came in Acts chapter 2. And that's the power that God gives us to live the Christian life. The tongues came, um, but that wasn't the reason the Holy Spirit was given. That was the evidence that God had poured out his spirit on his church. The, the, the reason the Holy Spirit comes is to give the church power. And, and if you live in this world, you know that you need power outside of yourself to live for God in that world. If you think you're going to make it on your own strength and your intellect and your, your, your own power, it's not going to happen. You need, you need God's power. You need the power of, of the Holy Spirit. And then the filling of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. You might say, well, I, I just, that's not for me. The Bible says they were all filled. All of them were filled. And if you read, if you continue to read in, in, through the book of Acts, you will discover that, that Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit separate from Acts chapter 2. So, so that, that just does away with the argument that people say, well, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, that was for the whole church. Acts, there's other chapters in Acts where the Holy Spirit, with the, the apostles laid hands, and the Bible says that those who believe in Christ receive the Holy Spirit. So you have to believe and understand that the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is for every is for every believer. And then last week I shared um, in, in Acts chapter 2 witnesses for Christ. And this is extraordinary if you look at Acts chapter 2. Peter, if you remember, when Jesus was arrested, what did, what did Peter do? He followed, he followed Christ up into where they took him. And then he was in a courtyard, the Bible says. And he was among some slave girls and some other people there. Jesus had been arrested. Peter had realized now that that Christ was probably going to suffer, was probably going to die. The Bible says that Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was. Peter, the apostle Peter, one of the 12 with Jesus, denied three times, the Bible says, that he even knew who Jesus Christ was. Why? There was fear. See, he felt secure as long as Jesus was alive and breathing and everything was great. 
But all of a sudden, Peter you know, was like, well, this might cost me my life. And, and I got to think fear came upon him. Peter began, Peter, Peter was fearful. But Peter, the Bible says, um, when, the, when the Holy Spirit was, was poured out, the Bible says that those who were around them that had gathered for the celebration of Pentecost began to make fun of the apostles. And they told them, they said, they said these people are out of their mind. They must be drunk. Peter, Peter stood up. The one that was afraid to acknowledge who Jesus Christ was. Now, Peter stood up and said, these men aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied. That in my last days, God will pour out his spirit on all mankind. And, and, they, and, and Peter began to speak. But what, what happened to Peter? Peter became bold. Where does the boldness come from? The Holy Spirit. See, that's one of the things that God does with his spirit. He gives us boldness. And then what did Peter preach? Peter didn't preach his message. Peter preached the message of the gospel. He preached, he, preached, he preached Jesus Christ and who Christ was and that salvation was found in him. So now we see the Holy Spirit, the, the other role of the Holy Spirit is to bring revelation of who Jesus is. That's one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to show us and the world who is Jesus. Because on my own, I'll just think he's a prophet or a teacher or another man. I need a revelation Amen. who Jesus Christ is. And an understanding who he is. So the so the revelation of Jesus, and then we look, if you if you look at the at the um, in, in Acts chapter two, after Peter, Peter was speaking, and Peter was given this message. Remember, this was really the first sermon ever preached in, in Acts. Jesus taught, and you could say Jesus preached, but really this was the first sermon ever preached with the new church. And the Bible says after Peter preached, the Bible says the people were cut to their heart. They were they were cut. In other words, they were convicted. Where did the conviction come from? The Holy Spirit. That's another role. Jesus said in, in John, he told his disciples, and the, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. So that, that's another huge role of the Holy Spirit. We share the gospel. We, we have the obligation to speak what the word of God says. We're messengers. We're, we're, we're letters, the Bible says. We're conduits. We're all these things. But I can't save anybody. And that's not my job to save anybody. My job is to deliver the message, to speak the truth of what the Word of God says. And then right alongside, when you're speaking the message, the Holy Spirit comes and brings the conviction. I pray for the conviction. When I'm speaking, when, I, when I'm praying for my family, my children, I say, God, send the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I, I can't, I'd rather God show someone who Jesus is than me. Because when God shows them who Jesus is, they're really going to know that's Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So these, all these things happen. So really in Acts chapter 2, the church was birthed. That was the beginning of the church. You can follow all the way back to Acts chapter 2. That was, that was, that was the church. But Acts chapter 2 is very interesting. It gives us more than just the, the coming and the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives us the instructions and the blueprint for the church. It's, it's, an, it's amazing what's found there in that, in that small passage of Scripture in the Bible. So today's message I titled The Church in Action. The Church in Action. And the book of Acts, and many of you might know this and some of you may not know this, but, but you've heard people say the book of Acts is the Acts, the acts of the Apostles. We, we've said that. The title of the book of Acts comes from the Greek word praxis, a word often used in early Christian literature to describe the great deeds of the apostles or other 
significant believers. In other words, Acts is the Acts. There was, this is the way the church acted, if you want to simplify what that saying is. This is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is the Acts of the church. This is what the church did when it was birthed after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. So what is the function or purpose of the church? What, what, is the, what is the function and purpose of the church? Now, that's a loaded question, especially in today's society with so many different denominations, so many different religions, so many different belief systems. Everybody could come in here and answer that in a million different ways. But there's only one answer that matters. It's God's. What does God, what is, what is God say? See, the church is not defined by man. Man doesn't get to define what the church is. That's first and foremost, and I've got this quote here. Man has transformed the church into something the Bible does not recognize. Man, man, yeah, God, God gave me that, and I believe that is, that is so true. That God, we have turned the church into something the Bible does not recognize. That's what religion has done. That wasn't from God. The church just needs to go to Acts chapter 2. And that, that, that will give you the blueprint and the picture of what God's purpose and design is for the body of Christ. Amen. And um, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here we see a few things. First of all, the church doesn't belong to man. It belongs to Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say man will build the church. Jesus said, I will, I will build my church. So the church doesn't belong to man, and the church is not built by man. We, we don't build the church. We, 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 are, we are stewards of the church. We are stewards of what God has given us in the blueprint of the Bible. But Jesus is the builder. He's the architect. He's the constructor of the church. And this is what I like. The church cannot be stopped by man. Man, man, I don't care what the politicians do, what man tries to do, how many times they vote, and all the different crazy things they want to try to do. Man cannot stop the church. It cannot, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, 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 the Lord wants us to, just, to keep pushing forward, to keep plowing through with the church, keep, keep marching forward with the church. Man cannot stop the church. See, religion, religion is not from God. Man has created religion to satisfy his interpretation of the church. See, religion, I believe, is man's way of interpreting what the Bible says. That's not true in every case. And every religion is not, is not bad. But it becomes dangerous when religion becomes more important than what God says. And we're finding that in a lot of places today, in our culture, in our world, and in our society. So, um, you know, many pastors and many churches seek different ways of finding out how to, how to uh, put the church together, how does the church operate, you know, what is the function of the church. And, and those, those conferences and all those different teachings, they're very good. But really, all you need to do is go to the Bible. And the Bible gives us the picture of how the early church acted and how they conducted themselves and what, did, what the church did. What we've done, I believe, is we've, we've come so far away from Acts chapter 2, we've created something that's not really what was in Acts, or it's just a small part of what was there. 
when God was like, here's what the church is and here's what the church does. So we're going to look at that today. But, but the church, the word church is from the Greek word um, ekklesia. And it is the Greek word translated in the New Testament as church. It comes from ek, meaning, now look at this, meaning out from and to, and kalio, meaning to call, and has to do with a group of people called out from one place and to another. It is an assembly or a, or a congregation. The ecclesia in the New Testament is a group of people who have been called out of the world and to God. It is the church. So the ecclesia, and this is so important for us to understand, and I don't believe we get sidetracked with this here, but the church is not a building. It's not a physical property. It's not, a, it's not an address. It's, it's not a place. It's a people. The Bible always describes God's church as gathering, as, as people. But look what ecclesia is. It's, it's, a, it's a group of people that have been called out. Where we're called out from? We're called out from the world. I have called you out of darkness into what? Into my marvelous light. So we've been called out, but when it is get called out just to stand in the middle and say, well, good, I'm called out. No, we're called to. Now we're called to, 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 to something. We're called to God to gather together. So we are, if you are a Christian in this place this morning and you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are the church. We're not the church, like the only church. We're part of the body of Christ. But we've gathered here. We, when I studied the word ecclesia, it's almost like they put more emphasis on the assembly and the meeting and the gathering than they did the calling out. Then they go hand in hand. But I think it's important for us to understand the church gathers. When, when the church comes together, we meet. That's God's church. You, do, do you get that? That's the ecclesia. So if you read that, that scripture where Jesus said, and I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my gathering. That, that could be another word that you could, you could insert there for church if you were using the Greek word ecclesia. We gather together. Why? We, what, 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 what are we gathering together about? Not a religious system. We're gathering together because of Jesus Christ. We, we, we have unity in Jesus Christ. We're, we're like-minded because of Christ. What does the Bible say? There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. What did Jesus say? We're all one in Christ. That, that's what brings us together. So when the church gathers, when, when we come together, this is the ecclesia. Your ecclesia this morning. That, that makes me excited that, that we, we come together like this. And, you know, Lee said that, you know, you got out of your bed, you, you could have did a million different things today. Something inside you, inside your spirit prompted you and said, you know what? I got to be with the people of God this morning. I, I got to be with some believers. I, I got to worship God. I, I tell people that. That's all you do when you come on Sunday mornings is worship God. You've done enough. You've exalted God. But the Bible said it's more than that. When we come together, we, we do what? We encourage one another. The Bible says we build one another up. Why? Because all of those things, that, that's not happening in the world. <laughs> You're not being built up. You're probably not being encouraged. But when we come together as believers, we build one another up. We encourage one another. So God has called us out of the world and to himself. Um, so the significance, again, of the church is the ecclesia, is the assembly. So, you know, many people, I've had this happen before, when asked about, when you ask someone about their relationship with God or their relationship with Jesus, they normally give this answer. Well, that's, that's between me and God. That's private. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. 
I don't see anything about Christianity in the Bible being private. As a matter of fact, everything I say, see about Christianity in the Bible is public. Everything is public. Jesus, Jesus ministered in the public. Jesus ministered in the streets. Jesus died publicly. He, he was humiliated publicly. The, 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 the church, I see nothing at all about it, it, a Christianity being, being private. It, 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 is a, it is a public thing that we do. We are proud and we are excited to express who we are in Jesus Christ. So we're going to go to Acts, this, this other passage in Acts chapter 2. And, you know, really this is like, I believe, should be a test for every church. That, and, and if you belong to a church, you need to ask yourself, does the church I belong to match and fit the description I see in the church in Acts chapter 2? I believe every church should, should, should identify with every one of these things that the New Testament church identify with. It doesn't mean you can have other, other things, but you, I believe you at least have to have these things. That, that, that's what I believe, and I think as we see these things, you'll, you, you, you will agree with me. So, um, so every, every church needs, needs to apply this. So um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to, to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And again, as I shared at verse, verse 41 there, um, Peter, Peter shared the gospel of Christ. He shared the message of salvation. The Bible says those who were listening, they were, they were cut. They were, they were moved. They were troubled, the Bible says. They were convicted. And they said, what, what shall we do? And Peter said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins, and you will be filled with, with the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter did this. But here we see in this passage, this remember, this is the first church. Think about this. This is the book of Acts. Jesus Christ did all that he said he would. would the work was done. Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected. The Holy Spirit has come on the day of Pentecost. Now we see the church being birthed, and now we see the church in action. What did that first church look like? Obviously, if, if you're a church, you want to know what, was the, what did the first church do? Because that that's very significant. So, so we're going to look at that here. And the first thing that we see in verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. So the first thing that we see is they grew in number. They grew in number. And one thing to kind of notice with this scripture, this is important to look at the detail. I'll tell you this all the time. It says those who accepted. It didn't say everybody accepted. And how many knows everybody's not going to accept? I wish everybody did. But everybody's not going to accept. But those who did accept, the Bible says there were 3,000 of them that, 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 was saved, that was saved. So, But the first thing that I think stands out here is God desire was for his church to grow. How many of y'all believe that God wants his church to grow, to multiply, to, 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 to continue to grow, to, be, to, to, to grow and to increase? And you see, 
a lot of churches, and I don't believe we've, we're that church, but some churches can become satisfied with where they're at. It's like we have these people that we have here, we're satisfied, we're comfortable, this is what we have, and God's doing a lot of stuff, and, and we're content. We can never be content, and we can never be satisfied. You know, some people say, well, how big, how big should a church be? Well, how many people does God want saved? Whosoever, the Bible says. You know, and a lot of times we, um, we, we pick on mega churches, and, and some people, I believe, do it out of envy. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. I, I walk into some of these mega churches sometimes, and I'm like, I wish, I wish my church had that. <laughs> that stage, that platform, that lighting, that, that whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm envious. But, but the Lord showed me, he says, don't, don't criticize and condemn a mega church if that mega church is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because guess what's happening? Souls are getting saved. The, the, the word of God is being preached. So that we cannot, as a, as a smaller congregation, criticize or condemn someone because they have a big church. I want a big church. You should want that. That should, that, that should be a desire. The Bible gives no limits on the size of God's church. You know, we can argue about the logistics and how that all works when the church begins to grow and all, but we can never say that once a church gets to a certain size, that's the perfect church. No, it should always be God keep adding, keep increasing. God was showing a picture here, 3,000. Look, Peter got up. Peter wasn't schooled in preaching. He didn't go to seminary or Bible college. Or Peter just got up and preached the gospel. And the Bible says when Peter preached, the Holy Spirit came and brought conviction, 3,000 in one day. So what does that tell us? God wants his church to grow. He wants, he wants his church, he wants his church to, to, to increase. Um, Luke 14, 23, it says, Then the master told his servant, Go out, this is the parable of the banquet that Jesus was sharing. He said, Go out to the roads and country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus wants this house to be full. He wants a full house. And when this house gets full, we'll build a bigger house. We'll, we'll expand. We'll multiply. We'll have another campus if needed. But God wants, God wants this house full. Why? That doesn't represent religious people. That represents souls. People who have been born again by Jesus Christ, that their lives have been changed. They, they, they've been brought from death to life. From, from eternal death to eternal life. That, that, that's, God's, that's God's picture. So, you know, God gave me a vision of the, when, when I became pastor of, of this church getting in the streets, so to speak, or getting in the community. And I think I shared this with my wife, that, you know, when God gives a pastor a vision to do things, it's kind of intimidating or scary a little bit because you don't know how the body is going to respond. Like, I'm going to come out there with something that I think is from God and from bold, but I got to, I got to pray to God. If this is you, the, the church is going to respond to that. And God showed me, we got to get out. We have life groups and that's good. And we're, we're, we're in the community with those, but really life groups really, really minister to the body. And, and, and in some ways it, it's outside the body, but it's mainly just the body of Christ. And God said, get where the lost people are. Go, go into the streets where the lost people are. So so this year, we've done this before, but this year we've did it more than ever. And I went back and looked. We've, we've reached or knocked on almost 400 homes this year. And for a church our size, I think that's pretty impressive for us to do that. And, and, and every time we've had this, Pastor Keith Hodges came back, I think it was in March or April, and we did it, and we did it two other times 
since Pastor Keith came, I got to say, as your pastor, I'm pleased. I mean, we had over 20 adults that showed up to that. And, um, and look, we, we going out, and I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to confess it's intimidating. It, it is to, to go knock on someone's door. But this is biblical. This is what the Bible says. What did Jesus say? Go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Compel them with the message of the gospel. So, so we went uh, last weekend to a subdivision road close to here. And I can just tell you as a pastor, I'm walking, we, here we are in the middle of the street in a subdivision, and I'm watching people in my church sharing the love of Jesus. And you can just imagine what that does to a pastor. Paul LeBee and, and, uh, and Brandon, they were so excited. that we, we, We're in the middle of the street, just in the middle of a, of, a, of a street in Covington, and we're all excited about Jesus. And, and I'm looking at um, Amanda and, and Sister Donna and um, uh, who was uh, Janet. Janet was with y'all. And here they are. I'm standing in the street, and they, they stand about someone. A young man is standing in front of his door, and they're praying with him. Amen. They're sharing the gospel with him. They're witnessing the man's He's grinning. He's listening to everything they have to say. And that's, that's, the, that's, that's Jesus. That's what God wants. So I just encourage this church, when we do those things, and you've never done that before, to just get out your comfort zone. You're never going to feel comfortable doing something that's uncomfortable until you do it. It's never going to happen. You've you got to do it. And that's what I'm trying to do when I do these things, is create a culture and a confidence in us that we can do this, that this is what God has called us to do. And it's, it's biblical. It's, it's not ungodly. Thank you, Jesus. We're, we're the church. So, so God's desire is to, is, to, is, to build, is to build his church that his church will grow. So that needs to be our, our desire in this church is that, yes, we're glad for those who have come, but we want more. I want more. You should desire more because that represents souls. The next thing we see here in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the next thing we see is they were devoted to the word. They were devoted to the word. Now, this might seem like that's, that's obvious, they were devoted to the word, but when you look at today's culture and society, there's a lot of churches, they're not devoted to the word. They're devoted to their religion or to themselves, but they're not devoted. They're not devoted to the word. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What was the apostles' teaching? They were teaching the word of God, the truth of the gospel, the message of the cross, who Jesus Christ was, all the things, all the things that the, that, that the Bible says. So um, churches, I believe, go off course when their teachings become more important than the word of God. See, that becomes an idol. In other words, when, when, when a religion comes up with something that becomes more important than what the Word of God says, then that becomes an idol. It's something that is above what God says. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I don't have this on the screen, but this is what Paul told Timothy. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul was imploring Timothy to stick to the word of God, to stay grounded in the word of God. And that's what, I, I, and it's difficult sometimes, even in a church like ours, where we are, we are grounded in the truth. We're not ashamed of the word of God. But with all the things that have been happening culturally and politically in our society, it's difficult as a pastor to stay grounded in the word of God. Because it's, some of us, we, we can start chasing other things out there. And God, Paul said, preach the word. Amen. Preach the word. Be devoted. Are we, are, we devoted. are we devoted to the word of God? And um, y'all been hearing about this in the news, but I read a recent article lately that the St. Timothy Methodist Church right here in Mandeville, they voted to disassociate themselves from the Methodist denomination. That's a good thing. I think, I think that's great. I'm not picking on the Methodist Church. I'm not picking, I'm not picking on any church. I'm just giving you a fact. This, this was in the news. And, um, but, but this is the second time I've read an article related to this issue, and I'm dumbfounded by what I read or actually what I didn't read, what wasn't in there. What they said, they said, now look what it said. They were at odds whether the church should ordain gay clergy. They said it was an argument between traditionalists and progressives. Well, and that, the, the word progressive, that's the, that's the new catchphrase now. But nowhere in the article that, that I read did it ask, what does the Bible say? In other words, they, made, they pitted the argument amongst themselves. And what that does is that tries to say, well, this group is right, this group is right. We're both right. No, you're both wrong. God's right. Only God is right. It doesn't matter what I think. Whether you're a traditionalist or progressive, or, I, don't, I don't care. What, that does, what does God say? And nowhere in the article does it say, and oh, by the way, the reason why the church is doing this is because this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. The other big word today in society is, is evolve. That, that society is evolving, therefore God is evolving, therefore the church must evolve. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see evolution in the Bible, physically or spiritually. It's not there. God doesn't evolve. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed. God's word has not changed. We're, we don't deliberately share the word of God to, to condemn someone or to offend someone, but Ray, Ray shared that earlier. The word of God will offend. Why? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. It's not what the tabernacle believes. It doesn't matter what we believe. What does God say? That blows me away. They were at odds whether the church should ordain gay clergy. They said it was an argument between traditionalists and progressives. Well, where does God come into that picture? What does God say? God says it's an abomination. That's what God says. That's what the Bible says. We've got to stay grounded to the truth of what the, of, of what the Word of God says. See, this church will never bow down to the changes and beliefs of our culture. We're not going to sway with the, with, the, with, the way, the, with the way culture moves and the way culture bends. Well, culture's going this way, and people believe this, and we, we're going to follow that. No, we're going to follow what the Word of God says. And I believe there's a people, and this is people, they want that. They, there's a hunger. There's a desire to want the truth of what the Word of God says. That should be all of our desires. So 
this church as a whole corporately will be devoted to the Word of God, but you need to devote yourself to the Word of God, to studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, applying the Word of God. And, and the things that you don't understand, ask God to give you revelation by the Holy Spirit that's in you. What does that passage mean? And God will give you that revelation. The next thing we see, it says, it says that they were, it says they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the next thing we see is they were devoted to prayer. And, you know, I find it fascinating. Again, remember, this is the first church. They didn't receive any instructions except the instructions of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit gave them instructions. And isn't it fascinating that one of the first things they thought necessary to do was pray? <laughs> Hello? That, that, that's what they did. So a, a, a church needs to put significance on prayer. And I think a lot of times we marginalize the importance of praying. We, we kind of sweep it to the side and we say, well, prayer, I'll do everything and I'll pray. In other words, that's the least I can do. When really praying is the most you can do. You know, and I, I can do another teaching on that. But you got to understand, prayer, prayer is more than just communicating with God. Prayer is acknowledging that you need God. It's humility. In other words, you, you humble yourself before God, and you confess and you acknowledge, God, I need you. I need you. We, we were standing in the front last week, and we, were, we had an altar call, and some of the sisters were praying, and one of them asked me, do I, do I need prayer? Yes, I do. Like, don't think that just because you're a pastor, you don't need prayer. I need prayer just as much, if not more so, than you do. Please pray for me. I covet that more than anything else. If you tell me, Pastor, I prayed for you, that's the most you could ever do for me. That's the biggest thing you could ever do is, you know, you, you prayed for me. That, that is so huge. And, and we, we put such a, I believe, we, we, we put it at the bottom, we put it at the bottom of the rung. But look at this. When you look at the New Testament church, how did they know to do these things? How did they know that this was what God's desire was for the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired them, compelled them, gave revelation. This is what I want you to do. Fellowship together. Uh, devote yourself to the word of God and pray. They, they prayed together. So um, we, read, we read that and you look at this in Acts chapter 2. It says they, they, they devoted themselves. So they is plural. That's more than one. So they, they prayed together. They were together. Now, there's a time for individual prayer. Jesus, Jesus said that uh, he, when, he, when he gave the teaching on prayer. What he said, go into your inner closet, shut the door, and let your Father in heaven who is, who is unseen see, see you and you, you communicate with God. But I believe also the Bible gives the church instruction for corporate prayer, a time for us to come together in, in agreement, in, in unison. And this church does this. this. You know, I'm checking off the boxes in Acts chapter 2, and I want to know as a pastor... Does my church or does this church, our church, fit the description in Acts chapter 2? Well, we're devoted to the word. We, we, we want the church to grow. Are we, are we devoted to prayer? Yes, we are. This church gathers on Monday nights. Every Monday night from 6 to 7, we come together as a church, and we come together corporately, and we pray. We have slides, different things we pray for. We'll pray for people's needs who come. But God showed me when, when I became a pastor that prayer was going to have to be a priority. It's got to be the first. How do I know that prayer is important? How do you know that? Jesus prayed. That's all I need to know. I don't even need Jesus to tell me to pray. Don't even tell me to pray. All I need to know is Jesus prayed. 
And why is that significant? Because he was the son of God. He was God's son. And he realized the significance and importance of praying. How much more should we? So, again, prayer is not the least we do. Prayer is the greatest thing we can do. It's the greatest thing we do. So, amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The next thing we see here is the church was in unity. The church was in unity. Now look at this. It says, notice, it says, all the believers were together. Now what's the first thing you think of together? Well, we're in this room together. But that's not all that word means. It means they were together, not just together physically. They were together in their mind. In their, in their purpose, in, in, their, in their desires for God. And they, they were together in, in, in purpose for the, for, the things, for the things of God. They had the same call and the same purpose. In other words, they wanted to honor God. They wanted to glorify the Lord. And they wanted to see souls saved. So another thing the Holy Spirit will do, the Holy Spirit will always bring harmony and unity. The Holy Spirit will never bring disharmony and dysfunction. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring harmony in the church. Now, it doesn't mean we're all the same. What did Paul say? We're, we're one body, but what? We're many members. All of us ain't the foot. We ain't all the hand. We ain't all the toe, the, the head, the leg. The, what all, we all we all different parts, but what? We make up one body, the body of Christ. So, so that, that's so important. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. So we know that God's desire and design for the church is unity. And I believe that a church that's unified, that when we are in agreement, that we want to glorify Jesus and we want to win souls. And we want to build one another. That's our, we are together in that mindset. There's nothing that can stop this church. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. When we are together in unity and God's design and purpose for his church, nothing can stop God's church and God's plan for that. And that's, that's my, my hope, and I'm seeing that. I'm, I'm watching that unfold before my eyes that this church is getting excited about souls, about growth, about seeing other people change and other people coming to Jesus. That's God's design. That's what God's design is for, for his church. So... Um, the Bible says they had everything, they had everything in common. That's a picture of a family. You know, when you're a family, what, what do you have? You, everything you have is, is, is ours. It's not mine and, and, and theirs, it's, it's ours. Same thing in our church. The Bible says they were so like-minded, they were selling their possessions, selling their property, and doing what? Giving it to those who had need. Our church does that. We, we give to people in need. We have a whole uh, arm in this church called Lighthouse Missions where we, we, we have uh, domestic and foreign missions that we pour into, that we, that we financially budget to support those things every year. So, so we are participating in that, and um, that is open for every one of us to be a part of that, to participate in, light, in Lighthouse Missions and be a part of what the New Testament church did. Then in verse 46 and 47, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the next thing we see here is the church gathered in their homes. They met in their homes. The Bible says 
They met in the temple, which really today's gathering could represent the temple. This isn't the temple of God, but this is a corporate time for us to come together. But the Bible goes on to say, not only did they meet together in the temple, they did what? They met together in their homes. So guess what I see? Life groups are biblical. And there's a, if you're in a life group, that's Acts chapter 2. That, that, that's, what, that's what God's design is for the church, is, is for us to come together. And recently I was with Pastor Carl, and Brother Carl was sharing that when he, was, when he took over the church in Shalmet, it was the Assembly of God Tabernacle in Shalmet. And when Laura and I had joined the church, one of the first things they did was to vote to get out of the assemblies and become non-denominational. But Brother Carl said when he got there, the Lord began to show him the vision of getting out of the church and getting into the community, into people's homes. And he said he got a lot of pushback from that. And not just from the general population of the congregation, he received pushback from leaders, from elders, from people who were supposedly, like people who were like leaders in the church, and they told Brother Carl they didn't want anybody in their homes. That's not biblical. <laughs> the Bible says they, they met in their homes. And from, in other places in Acts, it says they went from house to house. There were churches that met in people's houses. Thank God we do that. That's a big part of this ministry is small groups. And we meet in homes, we meet in coffee shops and other places like that. But that's where the real connection and growth of the church takes place. You are not going to connect and build a relationship with someone an hour or two hours on Sunday mornings. It's not going to happen. It happens when you get in somebody's house and you begin to get to know that person, to know their job, know their family, know their needs. I'm, I see that. I, I've seen that unfold before my eyes in the churches that we've been involved in. Life groups is biblical. It's God's design. Um, we just had an incident with that in our life group. Brother Keith Harwell, and y'all need to pray for him. He, he was in the hospital last week, and he's been dealing with a lot of health issues, and Keith's in my life group, and Brother Troy Gerard is in my group as well, and we went last Tuesday to go visit him in the hospital, and Troy came with me. And, and Troy really didn't know Keith until we got into the life group. In other words, we, we started meeting at Keith's house because he can't drive. And now Troy knows Keith. He knows his physical needs. I'm telling you, I'm in that hospital, and I'm like, okay, Troy's just going to be the one that's going to stand, and I'm going to do all the talking. I didn't say nothing. Troy was prophesying. He was prophesying over him. How did that begin? That began in a life group. He got to know Keith in his house. And understand that Keith was battling with physical ailments and Troy was just speaking, speaking Jesus over him and speaking life over his body. Again, I can't tell you what that does for a pastor to be standing there and seeing these things actually unfold before my eyes. The acts, the action. The, see, that's the action of the church. What, what does the church do? What does the church look like? Go to Acts chapter 2. It tells us what it does. And then, of course, Paul, Paul expounds on that even more in the other writings in the, in, in, uh, in, in the New Testament. But really, Acts chapter 2 gives us, I believe, a blueprint or at least an outline of what God wants included in the body of Christ. And I'm proud to say, as your pastor, we check off, I think, every box. Does that mean we're perfect? No, we're not. We're not a perfect church. But I believe we're biblical. We're, we're, sound, we're grounded biblically in, in Acts chapter 2. And that, that should make you excited as a, as a believer. So um, the day of Pentecost is so important. That was, like the birth, that was like the birth of the church. Like we were birthed as a, as a nation of believers, as a, as a Christian nation. The, 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 the church of Jesus Christ was birthed in Acts chapter 2. 
And how was it birthed? It was birthed in power and salvation. It was birthed in power and salvation, the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't, don't distance yourself from the Holy Spirit. Run to the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I need the Holy Spirit. I, I, want the, I don't understand it. God, show me, give me revelation. Might be something you've not experienced with, you, you, you're not familiar with. We've made it very clear. This is biblical. It's biblical. It's what it's, it's God's purpose and design that the Holy Spirit came. And God, and God has given his Holy Spirit to give us power and to be witnesses for Christ. And then we see the church in action. That's what God has called us to do. I'm glad I'm a part of that. Thank you, Jesus. We, what a privilege. It's a privilege to do the things God has called us to do. And I, you know, again, I, I just want to say, and I, I don't know, I mean, sometimes I, you know, I, I don't know if I, I always feel like when, when someone does something or something that I like, I'm not always communicating how much I appreciate that or showing the church what that means to me. So I just want to make sure you'll understand that when y'all come and do the things that, that, that God is showing Lori and I in this church and y'all support those things, that means so much to us. I, I can't tell you thank you enough. And just, it, it just blesses us more than you could ever imagine. I'm, when, like I said, when we, when we, we in that foyer downstairs and I'm like, you know, we got 100 bags we want to pass. We're going to knock on 200 doors. I'm like, God, who's going to come? And all of a sudden, God sends an army. And people come and they're excited. They're not just like, oh, I don't want to be here. They're excited. Like, we want to do this. Why? The Holy Spirit, something drew them. It wasn't me. I just gave them the opportunity to do it. The Holy Spirit drew them to come to that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I just want to say publicly to this church, thank you. That's a blessing. I'm believing next year for more. I'm believing that God's going to give us more, that God begins to give us that heart, that hunger, that desire, and, and, and God's just going to bring the increase. So... So the day of Pentecost, that's something, the Bible says when the Jews got together and they were celebrating, they weren't celebrating the Holy Spirit, but they, they were joyous, the Bible says. They were excited. How much more excited should we be that the day of Pentecost was the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit? We should, be, we should be rejoicing. The Bible says the people, the, 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 people, the patriarchs in the Old Testament, they longed to see what we see. They longed to see what was prophesied by all the prophets that, that they could experience the things, and here we are experiencing the fullness of everything that God had for his church. Thank you, Jesus. This is where we're at. Amen. 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 You can stand to your feet, please.